Well, this morning I have the privilege of preaching a word on what the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 5, we will be reading this passage together. John chapter 16, verse 5. It's a great passage. John 16, 5. So grateful for everyone here that makes this happen, from the men and women that are serving us right now, translating, taping, making the CDs, doing the sound, to those that are serving in the children's ministry. I just want to say thank you, church. It is a joy for Corey and for me to serve here at Palm Vista as your pastor's It is pure joy because you are such servants and you really are filled with the Spirit of God and you really are servants of the Lord. So that was just on my heart. There's so many people that I could thank, but those come to mind this Sunday morning. Thanks for serving the Lord as you serve his people here at Palm Vista. Thank you, church. uh, John 16, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night before he is going to depart, because it's the night before he's going to be crucified on the cross. So this is what he says to them, John 16, 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now listen carefully, here's what the helper will do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. (laughs) When the spirit of truth comes, this is referring to the Holy Spirit, just as the helper earlier in verse 7 referred to the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears... He will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word in Psalm 119, 130 that says that the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Lord, Unfold your word to us this morning. Give me the gift of teaching that I might exposit, unfold your word by your spirit to your people. And may it bring light to those in darkness. Understanding to the simple. Encouragement to the downtrodden. Lord, give us understanding now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Urban Meyer is the head football coach of the University of Florida. He is regarded as one of the top two or three coaches in the nation. He's won two national championships, and he's poised to win a third this year. Like most successful football coaches, Urban has a plan to win. What is Urban's plan to win? Here it is. Play great defense. Get turnovers. Protect the football. Score in the red zone. The red zone is that part of the field that's 20 yards in to the touchdown. And win the kicking game. And execute the plan with really good football players. That's the plan to win. And while this doesn't seem like much of a plan, or is anything any of us wouldn't already know, it is the recipe that Coach Meyer has used to gain nearly unparalleled success of late. Today's message is about God's plan to win to win his people to himself. And his plan is centered on Jesus Christ and the redemptive 
acts he's about to do. He's already done them for 30-some years, living a perfect life, but he's about to go to the cross and really implement the crucial phase of God's plan to win. God's plan to win includes the Holy Spirit and his role, and we're about to be introduced to that role by Jesus. God's plan to win his people to himself is a plan of, of power. It's a plan that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this text is Jesus telling the first disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come to them after he executes his part of the plan and explain it to them. We're going to see that in a moment. But it also speaks to us. Because we are those disciples some 2,000 years later in the same long line of players that execute the plan that is God's plan by God's Spirit. So can you feel it this morning? Can you feel, can you understand God's plan? His plan to win His people to Himself through the ages, the plan of redemption, certainly you can or else you wouldn't be here or at least someone has spoken to you about that plan. But here's the deal. This morning's message is primarily about us as his disciples executing the plan by his spirit with confidence. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Do you have the confidence that God the Father is giving you through God the Holy Spirit to declare the glorious truths of God the Son and what he did in this world to win God's people back to himself? Do you have the confidence in this plan in a hostile world that is opposing you? Forget about football stadiums that are hostile to the visiting team. We're in a world that is hostile And we are the visiting team. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. We are not of the world, but we're in the world. Corey preached a great message last week about the hostility of the world. On the right on the on the on the heels of that message, Jesus Christ is saying, hostile world that will oppose you. Mighty Holy Spirit that will empower you. Do you feel it? Or are you like me? Basically timid. Self-focused. Confidence in what I can bring to the table, which quickly evaporates in a stadium of 90,000 hostile fans screaming at me. Kill them! This message this morning is designed by God to give you faith and hope and confidence that the plan is God's. It's a plan to win. God's plan wins every time. The Spirit is the Lord's. It's going to empower you, even though you might feel weak. And the plan is revealed in Scripture by the Spirit so that we together, we, can, we together, folks, can hear God calling us, can understand the message, and can proclaim Christ can proclaim Christ. That's what God has called us to do. That's what this message is all about. That's what God's burden is today in this text, is to give us courage and give us faith for the great mission that he has given us to proclaim Christ. Our mission statement as a church is that Jesus Christ is the gospel. The gospel is just a fancy way of God's plan. Urban's has a plan to win. In one sense, big deal. God has a plan to win. Really big deal. It's called the gospel. It's Jesus And so in this church, we simply say, Jesus is the gospel. We worship him, we image him, we become like him, we change in our character, and we proclaim him. Today's message is the we proclaim him side of that. And the confidence God wants to give you in his spirit to proclaim him, because it's God's plan. And God will coach us up. God will get us in the game. God will put us in the right position. When the whistle blows, when they snap that ball, we're going to be ready. And then he's going to empower us. Forget about Gatorade. We have God aid. And he is going to get us in the game and we are going to win because he wins, because he never loses. He has the perfect record, perfect coach. We are very, very imperfect, but he's perfect. He is the senior partner 
We are the very, 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 very junior partners. Why he would ever choose us, I don't know. But he's going to execute the plan through us. Isn't that amazing? So you ready to hear this? It's in your notes if you do have a copy of the notes. Here is the, the main point. Be confident in the Holy Spirit's power and plan to declare Christ through you. Be confident in the Holy Spirit's power and plan to declare, declare Christ through you. The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God's power and he reveals God's plan in this text here. He declares God's salvation. In the text, as we see in verse 5, Jesus tells his disciples, Hey guys, don't be sorrowful. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, Corey preached about this several weeks ago in John 14. This is the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is telling these very scared disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified that it's good that he's leaving because he's sending the Holy Spirit. Now you must realize something. These guys had no real strong view of the Holy Spirit. They were Jewish. So they had a view of God. There's only one God And they had these Old Testament prophecies of Messiah, but even Messiah, they weren't sure, is Messiah God? They were trying to figure that out. And certainly the Spirit, they had some idea about the Spirit, but but was the Spirit God? As a matter of fact, let me show you a scripture that they might have had in their mind when Jesus was talking about the Helper Spirit. It's in Joel 2. It's going to be up here on the screen for you. You can just jot it down in your notes. Joel 2, 28 to 32. Joel 2. 28 to 32. They might have had this scripture in mind. Listen to it. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. Okay, so there you go, my spirit. On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. The great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord comes. So they had this idea of a day that's coming when the Spirit of the Lord would be sent. But they had very little concept of who is this Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? So this passage is simply... Jesus telling them that the promised spirit that brings the promised kingdom of God is going to be sent, and I have to leave to send him. But they had no idea. They still didn't get it, though he said it over and over and over. I've got to be crucified, guys. I've got to go to that cross. I'm going to die at the hands of these wicked people. I have to do it. No, 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 don't do it, Lord. You're here. It's cool. Bring the kingdom in now. You're the Messiah. You're political. You're going to lead us in a political sort of military coup. No, Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to die on that cross. And I've got to die there. And I've got to go into the grave. And three days later, I'll rise from the grave. And then 40 days later, I'll send into heaven. And then I'll send the Spirit. And they're just all gone. It's, it's late, right? You know how some of us get when it's late. They just had a big meal, Passover meal. And he's talking about spirits. And, he, and they just, they don't get it. I want us to get it, though. Because I want us to drop very quickly into something very, very important. In your notes, you'll see the first point, the Trinity in action. We've got to get the Trinity right here, folks. We've got to get the Trinity right. So I want to take a moment and talk about the Trinity. Because this passage has the Trinity all over it. This is a Trinitarian passage. Big time. Okay? Yesterday, Corey and I and Vanessa and Fernando and Jason went out witnessing we... We just did what we call initiative evangelism, where we just go with a a questionnaire. And we do it the fourth Saturday of every month, if you want to join us, usually about 11 o'clock. We went to Amelia Earhart Park. We just politely say, hey, folks, you know, hey, how you doing? This guy was fishing. Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? You mind if we just hang out with you? No. Hey, listen, you know, you got this little questionnaire. Can we ask you a few questions? Sure, why not? You know, what's your spiritual background? Um, I'm a Muslim. Okay, you don't look like a Muslim, but all right. This, he actually said this. Um, 
And then he goes, I used to be a Baptist. Oh, really? A Baptist is now Muslim. You don't find those just every day. Went on to ask him, you know, what three words would you use to describe your religious experience? Actually, Corey led this time of evangelism. I was with Corey, and the other three were together sharing with someone else. And, and Corey asked the man, so if you don't mind me asking, is an older gentleman, he's fishing, you know, how does one go from being a Baptist to a Muslim? He says, I could never get the Trinity thing. Could never get the Trinity thing. So, you know, Islam, it's one God. We, we had fascinating talk with him about the Trinity. So I want us to talk a little bit about the Trinity. In fact, Corey, I wish I had had some of these verses in my 53-year-old memory banks, which are very deficient at this point. Because he was asking me, yeah, where does it say that? I went, I'm preaching it tomorrow, but I can't remember. Literally. Yeah, the neurosynapses just are not firing anymore like they used to. <laughs> okay, let's, go, let's drop into the scripture here and let's look at where the Trinity is revealed in this passage. The Trinity in action. John 6, 16, 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. Let's just stop right there. I'm going to him who sent me. In your notes, you should have under the Trinity in action, God the Father sent God the Son. So that's the first thing that we have to, we have to understand here is the Trinity in action. By the way, we're not just going to study the Trinity right now just to study it as a fact that we can argue with somebody. We're going to study the Trinity, and here's what we're studying. The role of each person in the Trinity in salvation. Remember God's plan to win? Okay? God's plan to win is to save you. Okay? So you need to remember this plan. And if you don't know this plan, then you probably aren't saved. But God's plan to win is going to be, has been, will be executed by each person of the Trinity. Each person has a role. Just like in a football team. Not that I like football at all. But, again, a football team, you have a role for a quarterback. You have a role for a running back. You have a role for an offensive lineman. That's what I played. You have a, they're the most important guys in the whole field. You have a role for the ends, okay? You try not blocking and see how pretty boy quarterback does, okay? So you've got roles. You've got roles for everybody on the team. So in salvation, in God's plan, you have three persons, one God, and they each have a role. So the role of the Father, and by the way, the plan to win was devised by the Trinity from all eternity. What's called the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, devised this plan. It is their plan. It is a Trinitarian plan. And then they execute it in a Trinitarian manner. So the Trinity is important. Point one, the Father is the sender in this plan to win. And he sends the Son. Now, there's tons of scripture that you can study about this. Most of them are in John. Jot down just a few. You can study them on your own. John 5, 23. John 5, 23. And that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Who sent him? Jesus is saying this. This is why they wanted to kill Jesus, because he claimed that the Father sent him, which makes him equal to the Father. Okay. John 5, 20, uh, 37, John 5, 37, and the Father who sent me, Jesus speaking again, first person, himself bore, has, born, has himself borne witness about me, his voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. By the way, I'm going to speak his voice to you, Jesus saying this, I'm going to represent him to you, which is why they wanted to kill him. But the important part is, the Father sent me. Okay? There's many more scriptures in John, you can look at this. So the Father is the sending agency in this plan to win. He sends the Son. So now what is the Son's role in salvation? The second person of the Trinity, God the Son. God the Son is the one who's going to actually do the redemptive works that will enable us to be saved. The Father sends the Son. The Son only does what the Father does, says what the Father says, and obeys the Father. Now the Son's going to actually do those redemptive deeds. In your notes, you'll see there, God the Son, what did he do? He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose a glorious resurrection. He ascended triumphantly into heaven. Folks, that's the gospel. This is the plan. This is the center of all history. 
This is the very center of all being. Jesus Christ. This is the plan to win. Listen, Urban's plan to win, play great defense, get turnovers and protect the football, score in the red zone, win the, the kicking game, that's fine. But this plan, Jesus living a perfect life, Jesus dying a sacrificial death, Jesus rising a glorious resurrection, Jesus ascending triumphantly into heavens. Man, this plan wins every time. He executes it. He's about to go execute the most important part. Now, the perfect life is important. 33 years, he obeyed God perfectly. He passed the test where we as humans failed. He, he passed the test of temptation where Adam failed. He went into a garden. He was tempted. He passed it where Adam failed. Now, he's going to go on a cross and die. And three days later, he'll rise from the dead. And 40 days after that, he'll ascend into heaven. So, the plan to win, God the sender, Jesus the doer of the uh, redemptive acts. So the focal point is the cross. And then the third person of the Trinity, Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first of all, we've got to see this. God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit. In this plan to win, God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit. Just jot these down again. John fourteen sixteen, Jesus talking. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. So I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So it's clear. It's the Father and the Son that send the Spirit. Now, why do they send the Spirit? What is the Spirit's role in the plan to win, the plan of redemption? Here's the Spirit's role. The Spirit's role is to apply Christ's redemptive work to our lives. We're getting a glimpse of it here in this passage. We get a glimpse of it here in this passage. When Jesus says, hey, it's good that I leave, verse 7, because if I leave, I'm going to send the the Spirit, and then verse 8, he immediately launches into, what is the Spirit going to do? He's going to convict the world. And then in verse 13, in verse 12, he says, hey, I've got a lot more to talk to you about, but you can't bear it, poor guys. They're just like, whoa, would you please stop talking? I am so freaked out right now. You're leaving in the Spirit and convicting the world of sin, and you know, I'm just hoping they don't arrest me. And... And he says, no, he's going to do that. And then he says, you know what? The Spirit also, verse 13, he, he's, going to, he's going to reveal these things to you in due time. Okay, we'll get back to that in just a moment. So the Spirit applies the work that Christ accomplished on earth. The Father sends. Christ lives the perfect life, dies the sacrificial death, raises from the dead by the power of the Father, and and ascends into heaven. And then the Spirit applies what the Son is doing. Now, now we're going to get into... So that's, that's the Trinity. Okay? So the Trinity in action. Very important that you would know that. Very important. Corey did a great job with this gentleman. Great job uh, of talking about the Trinity to a man that was convinced we were in error. And he didn't get angry, and it's a tough thing to do, but he did it in a redemptive way. So we just weren't kind of ontologically trying to figure out who had the right argument. He was was compassionately sharing the the, the role of the Spirit and the Son in salvation. Uh, It's a great job. It It was a clinic for me. Uh, interesting, you know, Corey at one point thought he might be called to Turkey to the Islamic world. So this guy kind of tried to trump us early on, like, yeah, do you know Islam? And, you know, Corey, very understand. Me, I'd be like, yeah, man, I know Islam, okay? You know, I don't know Islam, all right? So I was like, eh. <laughs> Corey, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, one of my best friends from Turkey is, you know, Muslim, and we used to, you know, and the guy went, okay, I might listen to this guy, you know? So, I mean, talk about, we're in Hialeah. And we're meeting a former Baptist Muslim, okay? I'm like, I think this is a divine appointment here. (laughs) All right, so what did the Spirit come to do? Well, this story of what we did yesterday is part of what the Spirit came to do. If you have your notes there, point two, the Holy Spirit is God's power to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Please look at verses 8 to 11. 
in John 16. And when the Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. One commentator calls the Holy Spirit God the evangelist. Oh, that's good, man. Because yesterday I was feeling pretty puny when we drove up to the park and got out. You know, I'm leading the outreach. I'm going, okay, guys, we're going to go here, share the gospel. I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want to share the gospel. (laughs) These people are going to think I'm crazy. I mean, every time that happens to me, you know. And what I forget is God the evangelist is there. Jim Donahue is a pastor in one of our churches in Philly. He says, the gospel is God on the move. Remember, the gospel is Jesus, the plan to win. Dwight L. Moody, a famous evangelist, said, the gospel's like a lion. The only thing the preacher has to do is open the gate of the cage and just get out of the way. The gospel's on the move. God's evangelizing. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he do? Okay, first, he convicts the world of sin. Do you see that? He convicts the world of sin. Now, drop down into verse uh, 9. Verse 8 tells us what he does, and verse 9 kind of breaks down the first one. He convicts the world concerning sin because they don't believe me. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's almost like, it seems like a circular argument, you know? He convicts them of sin because they don't believe in him. But actually, if you, if you look a little, little kind of deeper, what he's saying there is they don't believe Jesus' statement about their guilt and their need of him. Case in point, the young couple that Fernando, Vanessa, and Jason shared the gospel with. (laughs) They were just sitting on the lake having an amorous moment. (laughs) And the three of them said, hey, can we share something with you? (laughs) And I loved it because it was like, it it was bold, okay? It was bold. And, And they really, really wanted to talk. And at one point, they said to them, to you, who is Jesus? Now catch this. And they said, oh, he's my savior. And one of them said, savior from what? They didn't have an answer. Because this is what they said. Oh, everyone's getting saved. Everyone's going to heaven. He's my savior from my own self. He's my savior from all the bad things that happened to me on this world. Do you you catch it? They're not believing in Jesus. Because what they're not believing is what Jesus says about them. I went to the cross because you are a sinner and need to be saved from your sin before a holy God. They're not seeing that. I mean, that was a great example of exactly what the Spirit does. The Spirit does that. Next, the Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Now, this is another funny kind of argument. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. It's like, how can the Spirit convict them of righteousness? You'd imagine he'd say something else, but he says, no, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Well, here it is. It's very simple. The Spirit's going to convict them of righteousness because I won't be here to convict them of righteousness. It's it. That's it. It's that simple. When I was here, I convicted people of righteousness. That's why they wanted to kill me. I'm the righteousness of God. You see God through me. Not through your temple, not through your works. I'm the righteousness of God. But I'm going to leave, and once I leave, the Spirit is going to come and communicate about me, and He will convict the the world of righteousness. The Spirit will. Now, now let's drop a little further into that, because Corey asked this, this gentleman, this Muslim, he said, when you, he says, you believe in heaven. I know you do. Yes, I do. By the way, they were very polite to each other. Think of sort of a, an Islamic Corey Smidgen. That's who he was talking to. Kind of the same personality. I mean, I felt good. I mean, if the guy would have been like really uptight, you know, I'd have been like backing off, you know, like, okay. But this guy was like Corey. It was hilarious watching them talk, you know. And it was like, it was great because they were so polite to each other. They were very, they were really polite. And so Corey at one point says, I, I imagine you, you believe in heaven. He said, yeah, I do. So he said, he called him by name. He said, when you get there, and God says, why should I let you in? What will you say? Is what he said. The good works that I've sent before me will gain me entrance into heaven. Now, I haven't heard that in a long time. I mean, that's just flat out in your face. Think first century. This is what Paul experienced with any good Jew, okay? My good works get me there. And don't you tell me otherwise. That's what the Spirit convicts the world of. 
Because your good works, according to Scripture, are like filthy rags. And without being gross, he's ref- Isaiah said that. He's referring to a, a, a menstruous cloth. That's pretty graphic. That's what the Scripture uses for your good works. Is that graphic enough for you? You get the picture? How can you send those kind of good works before you into heaven and hope to gain anything but judgment? That's what the Spirit convicts the world of. But the Spirit is the one that does it. The Spirit is... And then finally, the Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Why? Oh, I like this one. Because the prince of this world and all his false judgments are condemned. Do you see that? The prince of this world and all his false judgments are condemned. Look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jot down right next to that Colossians 2.15. Just listen, Colossians 2.15. Talking about the judgment of the prince of this world, the judgment of all the false things that the world says. The world says this is good, the Bible says that's good. The world says this is bad, the Bible says that's bad. They're generally opposite. And every day we live in a hostile world that says our values are messed up. The world says our judgments are right. What we say is right is right. And Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, because the prince of this world has been judged, Colossians 2.15, he, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the in him can also be translated in it, which is the cross. The cross of Christ judges the prince of this world, judges the values of this world, and says the values of this world are wrong because the values of this world put me on this cross. You want to go that way? Have at it. This is what you get. Crucifixion, the wrath of God. The prince of this world has been judged. The judgments of this world are false. The judgments of Christ are right. When we choose, when Christ chooses us and we walk this way, the world will always be hostile to us. Always. If it's not, be careful. Be careful. Because the point of all this is this. The third point in your notes. The Holy Spirit reveals God's plan as he leads us into all truth about Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals God's plan as he leads us into his truth about Christ because, folks, The Holy Spirit uses our mouths to speak the truth that then he will use to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The fellow that we spoke to did not repent and come to Christ. The couple that they spoke to, to my knowledge, did not repent and come to Christ. But, but listen, the only chance they have of repenting and coming to Christ is the Spirit convicting them, and the only way the Spirit can convict them is if someone goes and tells them the gospel. That's what Scripture says. And we are the ones. We're those, we're those football players for Urban Meyer that have to get the plan to win, understand the plan to win, obey the coaches, practice hard, and then on Saturday when the ball's kicked off, the coach is on the sideline, we're in the game. We've got to execute the plan to win. See, that's the point here. The Spirit gives us power. He gives us the plan. But he says, go execute for me, guys. There's a passage in Romans. I know it's in 10. I'm not sure where in 10. It says they can't believe unless they hear, and they can't hear unless the preacher goes and preaches. See, what he's saying to these disciples is, in just a few days, I'm out of here. Actually, in a day, I'm out of here. You'll see me again for a while in my resurrected body, and then I'm really out of here. But I'm sending the Spirit, and you're going to now be, you're going to be very junior partners in this. All right? The three, the three partners, <laughs> so to speak, if you want to look at it that way, be careful with these kinds of metaphors. But the three owners of the company, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we are sending you and you're going to communicate the plan. Do you feel it? It's there. The confidence to do it. And look at this third point. I love this third point. The Holy Spirit reveals God's plan as he leads us into all truth about Christ. Now, drop into verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now or bear them now. They're overloaded. They don't understand. When the Spirit of truth comes, it's the same Holy Spirit, but now he's calling it the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all the truth. 
Now, what is the truth that he's going to guide them into? It's the truth about Jesus, who is the plan, the gospel, Jesus' life, death, resurrection. He's going to interpret everything that is about to happen, everything that's happened. Spirit of truth is going to come and give them the understanding. He's going to speak the truth. Because he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the counsels of the Godhead from all eternity. That's what the Spirit speaks. He speaks it to the disciples. And he will declare to you all things that are to come. What are the all things that are to come? I do not believe the all things that are to come. He's not speaking about an eschatological, it's a fancy word for end times, about what's going to happen you know, at the end and book of Revelation and all that crazy stuff. No. He's talking about the things that are going to come the next couple of days. Do you see that? That's the gospel. That's what he's going to reveal. Now, I have the privilege of walking you through an example biblically of that. You're going to love this. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. What we're going to do in Acts 2 is we're going to see the, the playing out of the spirit of truth doing exactly what Jesus said he was going to do with the disciples. So turn to Acts 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be put up here on the screen. Stay with me. It's a lengthy illustration, but it's a biblical one, and it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's the plan to win executed by the disciples, empowered by the Spirit who reveals the plan to them. It's the plan to win executed by the disciples. Jesus is the one that made it possible with his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It's going to be executed by the disciples, empowered by the Spirit with boldness, and it's going to, he's going to reveal the plan with, with, with specific biblical knowledge and interpretation of all of that's happened. Now watch this. Acts 2.1. Acts 2.1 takes place approximately 50 days after John 16. Approximately 50 days after John 16, this takes place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, there was 120 of them, but certainly the ones that were there that night listening to Jesus were there. They were all gathered together, or were all together in one place. Are we there? Great. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with what? Holy Spirit. What they understood intellectually, what they understood in Joel, boom, they were going to experience experientially right now. The Spirit of God is going to be now, He's going to fill God's followers for the first time ever. This is a huge redemptive historical moment based on the redemptive historical acts of Christ. And now Christ is going to fulfill what he said. Now jump down. Jump down with me because we don't have time to verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, they were in Jerusalem, okay? Because this was a big feast, Pentecost. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. I mean, the Spirit was so powerful on them. They looked, they appeared drunk. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It was probably around 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered. Whoa, yeah. See, this is when it's good to be a Pentecostal when you read stuff like this. Some of you are like, and you can like get crazy about it. This is far better than a Tebow touchdown. Far better, okay? Far, far better. All right, let me go back. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third other day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, Peter is going to quote the very passage in Joel. I just read to you, Joel 2, 28 to 32. Quote, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and i will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire vapor and smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter reads that, and everybody goes, yeah, we know that scripture. And then in verse 22, by the power of the Spirit, this dumb fisherman with no confidence prior to this, who denied the Lord three times, says, man of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God 
with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the what? Definite what? Plan. The plan to win. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified. You killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. This is the gospel, guys. The Spirit's teaching Peter right now so he can declare it in power. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning, now Peter is going to dip into the Psalms and he's going to preach the Psalms from, he's going to preach the gospel from the Psalms and he's going to tell, you know what? David preached the gospel because it's the plan to win. It's always been the same plan, manifested slowly over time in covenants. And now, here, it's consummated in Christ. What you Jews have hoped for all your life is here in Christ. A fisherman, uneducated, is teaching this because the Spirit of God is filling him with boldness and the plan and the power. And it's not just for Peter back then, but it's for us today. For David says concerning him, verse 25, he's quoting a psalm now. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. This is still quoting from the psalm. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. End of quote of the psalms. Now, Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, is going to interpret that psalm. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you, with what? Confidence. Where'd that confidence come from? The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that's here today, with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb, is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, verse 30, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. You want to preach the gospel from the Old Testament? Go to this psalm. Go preach it. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. And we are witnesses, not personally, but through Scripture. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter's saying, listen, I remember what Jesus told me 50 days ago. He's now gone, but I get it now. He had to die for my sins. I did deny him three times. And he rose and he ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father and he's accepted by the Father and the Father and the Son now pour out the Spirit. That's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. Look look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, Dangerous words for a Jew to utter in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Dangerous, dangerous words. Capital offense. He made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the Spirit's all over everybody. And look what happens in 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. Because it's what? It's the promise. Verse 39, for you and your children. And for all who are far off, that's us. Everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Has the Lord called you to himself? That he gives you the Spirit to give you confidence and boldness. He gives you the plan. Just like he gave these men the plan. The fruit of them having the plan, understanding the plan, is that we have the gospel of John that I can preach from this morning. Just just take a moment to look at the application questions right at the bottom of your page. I just want right now you to look at these questions two and three. It would be appropriate for you to consider questions two and three right now. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit's power in evangelism to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I can tell you this. You have no chance of experiencing that if you don't go somewhere, ask someone politely, and share the gospel with them. No chance. 
I am not aware that Corey and I experienced the Spirit giving this young, this Muslim individual the, the, the repentance. But there would be no chance of that happening if we had not engaged him with the gospel. None. It's there for you. Pray. Ask God to give you the boldness to get you looking out of your own self, self-centered, particularly at Christmas, and making it all about me and my gifts and what I'm going to do and my fun and what I'm going to have, and say, Lord, I want to look to you. Your spirit came to lift my head up and out, and your spirit came to give me boldness. So where can I share the gospel? And may I invite you to look at Colossians 4. Not now. when I'm not even going to read it to you, but it's a great prayer to pray. Two, do you know God's plan of salvation? It is the plan that the Holy Spirit revealed to the disciples in verse 13 when he said, he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's about Christ's redemptive works. Do you know it? Do you know it? All right, back to the final point. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. Quickly, verses, I'm going to go back over verse 13 to verse 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now look at verse 14. 14 and 15 almost look like a play on words. But but it'll make sense to you here in a moment. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here we conclude with the Trinity again. What a Trinitarian passage this is. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. Now catch this. In this text, we see the Spirit of truth, verse 13, the Holy Spirit, glorifying the Son of God by unfolding the person and work of Christ to us. That's what it means when it says in verse 14, He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see that? Underline that. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. What that means is the Spirit is going to unfold for us the person of Christ. He's God, second person of the Trinity, the work of Christ. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. He unfolds it. And then, to see the Trinity just explode out of these pages, we realize that all the revelation bound up in Jesus' person is really the revelation of the Father. Remember earlier in this book, Jesus says, I've just come to reveal the Father. I don't do anything without seeing the Father do it. I don't say anything without hearing the Father say it. So Jesus said and did what the Father gave him to say and do. That's why it says in verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Do you see that? That's another. Tr- that's a passage saying, I only do and say what he wants me to do and say. I reveal what he wants me to reveal. So, in fact, Jesus came to reveal and glorify the Father, and the Spirit came to reveal and glorify Jesus. That is profound and wonderful. Do you see the unity of the triune God expressed here? The Spirit does not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks. And what he declares belongs to Jesus, and what belongs to Jesus is what belongs to God the Father because Jesus came to reveal the Father. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you that we can hear the counsels of the Godhead in our puny little minds. You would condescend to speak that to us. Well, let me leave you with this quote, folks. It's from D.A. Carson in his wonderful commentary. He says this. It's not in your notes, but just listen. All revelation bound up in Jesus' person and mission are pressed home on the disciples by the Spirit of God. Are they pressed home on your heart right now? Oh, listen. There's nothing more important than this. Just listen. I beg you. Are they pressed home on your heart? That's what we need. Because he reveals the Father. He is the plan to win. He reveals the Father's plan to save us. May the Spirit press these into our hearts. Let's pray. Please bow your head. Just as still as we can be. God is working right now.
Father, I thank you for your grace. Amazing grace. That you would condescend, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to devise a plan to save a wretch like me. That you would come as a man and humble yourself. And then send the Spirit to explain to me what you did. And then send the Spirit to convict my hard, rebellious, stubborn, stupid, proud heart that thinks it doesn't need you. And then to give me life, my dead, unregenerate heart. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, in the stillness of this moment, would you touch their hearts and give them life and turn their proud, arrogant heart to you and have mercy on them? I'm talking to you, unbeliever. Oh, let the goodness and the kindness of God lead you to repentance. You've heard the plan. We accept it. Talking to you, believer, you've heard the plan. Will you execute it? Lord, help us. We are cowards by nature, selfish, more concerned with what people think of us than what they think of you. Empower us this day to go out this week, this Christmas season, and proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like us to stand. And conclude with a celebration of God. This is the time to celebrate God's grace. We're going to do it through song. It's a Christmas song, but I love it. It's a Christmas song that, in my opinion, has some pretty serious theology. In case you didn't notice. Glory be to God. Let us sing it with all of our hearts. And particularly, I love verse 3. Let the joyful news ring out. The Prince of Peace proclaim. That's Jesus Lift your heart and voice. Let's lift your heart and voice to shout. Emmanuel's name. God with us. God has kept his promises. What a work of grace this is. Son of Mary, son, chosen one, the Lamb of God has come. And let's just sing that with joy.